If you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Continue our study there. See there, I'm divided up the reading. Beginning in verse 27. The Lord has just finished instituting the Lord's Supper, of course, and they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus then turns to his disciples and say, says this, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Then over to verse 66. After Jesus is arrested and stands trial, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warning, warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And, we, and he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Father, we praise you for your word, and we ask that you give us grace as we hear it. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see the truth of your word and who you are and where we stand before you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Well, probably all of us are familiar with this part of the scripture. We've at least been familiarized with the story, the denial of Peter and the crowing of the rooster. And I think it's important to note that it was not only Peter who fell away. It was not only Peter who made bold claims about his own faithfulness and fidelity. In fact, if you notice verse 31, Mark is certain to point out, and they all said the same thing. When Peter said, if I have to die, I will never deny you, and they all said the same thing. But then in verse 50, we read, though we didn't read that just now, they all left him and fled. So, a lot like Thomas gets a bad rap for being a doubter, but he wasn't able to see what everybody else had already seen, and all he wanted to do was see, and once he seen, he was no longer a doubter, but we call him Doubting Thomas, and so we remember Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times before the rooster crowed, but so too did everyone else. They all fled. In fact, that's what Jesus says, the very first verse that I read to you, you will all fall away. So it's not only Peter who was trusting too heavily in his 
own sufficiency, but all of the disciples and all who were following Christ at this point were all too sure of themselves. And perhaps it's here that we are to pay close attention to the text and note that even those who were walking and talking with Jesus in the flesh on a daily basis, those who are listening to his preaching and watching him do miracles, they were carelessly assuring themselves of their own sufficiency apart from Christ. And I think we need to pay attention to that. Because we need to take great precaution lest we think too highly of ourselves and our ability to resist temptation. And then we too fall away. Now, of course, not falling away into total unbelief, but falling away from dependence on Christ and the power of the Spirit to overcome the temptations of the flesh. It is the urge of fallen flesh to think that we can do everything we need to do on our own. It's natural. All of us do that. But that is not true. We need Christ desperately and daily and hourly, minute by minute, because Satan is seeking whom he may devour. In fact, Luke's version of this story that we just read together records the Lord saying to Peter, Behold, Satan has desired you or asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, the interesting thing about Luke's recording there, Peter had just said what we read a while ago, I'll never leave you, Lord. I'll stand with you no matter what if everybody else leaves. But Jesus, taking what Peter said, looks at him and looks at everybody because the two yous that Luke records, Satan desires to have you, that he might sift you. They're both plurals. So he wasn't only talking to Peter. He was talking to all that were listening. And I think, in turn, he's talking to all of us. That Satan desires to have us, that he might sift us like wheat. All of us. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I think we should pay attention to it. It's a good thing to think about. But I'm thankful that when you sift something, it's only the bad stuff you don't want that goes through the sift. The good stuff stays. And so those of us who are in Christ, he might sift us all he wants to and all that the Lord allows. But at the end of the day, we'll still remain because we're in Christ. He can't get rid of us. He might, he might vex us the way he was allowed to vex Job. But he can't steal our faith and our belief in Christ because we belong to him. And none that the Lord has given, been given has he ever lost. So glory for that. But I think it's important for us to stop for just a minute and be reminded that our battles that we have, whatever they are, there's a lot of commonality in our battles and there's a lot of difference in our battles, but they are all not battles of the flesh. They're not flesh and blood battles. But we battle against powers and principalities. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Things that are unseen. We don't even know what's going on. And the flesh cannot win spiritual war. I don't think we think about this often enough. We tend to leave this with the charismatics. We don't talk about spiritual warfare. But the Bible is clear. This is where we are. We battle not with flesh and blood. And there is something going on that we can't even see. And I think this is one of the times we need to pay attention 
that we not become self-sufficient as Peter and all the disciples did because there are battles going on that we know nothing about and our only hope is Christ. In fact, what Jesus said to Peter in Luke, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I've already prayed for you. Praise God for that, that he intercedes on behalf of his people. This is where we live every day, and I don't think we acknowledge that enough. Spiritual warfare, the things that we don't even see. The old-timers referred to it as restraining grace, the things that God has kept from us and the things that he has kept us from we don't even know about. We have to depend on Christ when we don't even realize we're depending on him. 2 Corinthians 10 reminds us that though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Our war is not the things that we can handle. It is a spiritual war. It's a battle of thoughts. It's a battle of knowledge. This is why reading and knowing the scripture is so important because the way we fight spiritual warfare is with the knowledge of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 goes on to say, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's a mind thing. I think in a lot of ways when Satan is sifting us as wheat, that's what he's doing. He's messing with our thoughts. And man, we're so quick to move away from our need for a Savior and thinking that we can handle it. And like us, the followers of Jesus in the Bible often thought they could do what needed to be done alone apart from his power and presence, but they cannot, and we cannot. They could not, and we cannot. We cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot do it alone. That's, again, why we gather like we are gathered at this moment, to receive grace and power, to live in this carnal world while fighting in a spiritual realm. We need each other. We need the songs of the faith. We need the reading and the preaching of the gospel. We need the prayers of the saints. We need the communion and fellowship with the Lord through the table that we might receive grace to help in our time of need. Because often we don't realize how great a need we have. I guarantee you things might be going well for you in your life. There's a spiritual battle being fought that you know nothing about. You need Christ. Thank Him for that. We need Him to meet with us, to manifest Himself, His power, His presence when we gather to read His Word and preach His Word and sing His Word and the things that we do here as a church. Our flesh is weak. And Satan does desire to sift us. Man, how often I think I can do it on my own. And I just try. I try to do it without prayer. And I try to do it without reading the word. And I try to do it without looking to Christ. And it's so easy to hear to read about Peter and think, Peter, you should have just listened a little more. You shouldn't have thought so highly of yourself, Peter. 
Do you not remember, Peter, just several chapters earlier when Jesus was talking about his death and resurrection and you said, I'll never let that happen, and Jesus literally called you Satan? Do you not even remember that? You're acting like the devil? It's easy to look at Peter and think those things. Unless you're like Peter, and you know that you speak a lot without thinking, and some of us do. Or you speak from your emotions. Some of us do. But how often should I have listened more to the word of Christ? How often should you have listened more? How often have you thought more highly of yourself than you ought to? How often have I thought more highly of myself than I should? How often have I put my selfish desires and thoughts above what Jesus has said and what I know to be true? Because that's what Peter was doing. You know, earlier in our teachings, I commented that what made Judas's betrayal so nasty and heinous was the premeditation of it. I don't know if you remember us talking about that, but the disciples were all falling away here. But they didn't think they would. They certainly didn't plan for it. They all said, we'll never leave you. Judas knew. He premeditated. He went and found those who he could sell to. But I will say this about Judas. When the Lord said, what you do, Judas, do quickly, he went and did it. He didn't sit around and think about it, wonder if this is who he really was. And when the Lord was saying the the betrayer is the one who dips with me in the, with the bread. Judas didn't argue. He wasn't saying, I wonder who he's talking about. Judas, I will at least say, knew he, who he was. He knew the truth about himself. Yet when the Lord says to all of his disciples, you will all fall away, they all refuse to accept the truth about themselves. So I don't know if that's any credibility to Judas. At least he knew he was a scoundrel. The disciples were in self-denial. No, everybody will leave you, but we won't. And Jesus was saying, you're going to leave me. The truth of God, the word incarnate was saying, all of you will fall away. And they refused to accept it. And what's worse is that Jesus plainly says, you will all fall away for it is written. It's part of prophecy. They've been seeing and recognizing he is the Messiah because he fulfills this prophecy and that prophecy. And he looks at them and says, you're all going to fall away from me for it is written. He was clearly saying, what is about to happen to you has been written about for ages. And they should have known this. They should have known Zechariah 13. Rather than pay attention and think about the prophecy... Knowing that this should come to pass, they rebuked Jesus for saying it. Think about this. They denied the word of God in the flesh and they denied the word of God written all in one moment. And that part of scripture that's recorded by Zechariah, did you, did you notice as we were reading it that that's what Jesus was quoting? If we turn back and look at it, it's so important. The context of 13, verse 1, on that day, this prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ comes says on that day, meaning the end days, not just a specific day, but on that day, 
to come. A fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look at this. To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Uncleanness. Oh, that they could have recognized when Jesus quotes, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. He's quoting from Zechariah 13. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the day of redemption. The day that the people of God will receive cleansing. There's going to be a fountain opened up. Guess who the fountain is? It is Jesus himself. Probably where that song comes from. There is a fountain filled with blood. It flows from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath its flood will lose all their guilty stains. And he keeps on going until he gets to this part. And literally what he quotes, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. What a great prophecy. Who's going to strike the shepherd? Rome? No. The Jews? Nope. The Lord himself will strike his shepherd. As Isaiah points out, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bruised him. God himself chose his son. It's a beautiful picture. And even you keep going, um, chapters 8 and 9 is prophesying the things we just talked about in Mark 13, the destruction of Jerusalem. Almost all of them wiped out, but there was a remnant left. A third, he says here. And they will call upon my name, and they will, and I will answer them. And they will say, they are my people. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. He's refining them with fire as silver. If only the disciples could have seen that Jesus was saying, what's about to happen is part of the plan. Even you're falling away. It's going to be a difficult time, but I will bring you through the fire and refine you. It's all a part of the fountain being opened up to the house of David, the people of God. And this fountain will wash away sin and uncleanness. Now, I know that the resurrection hasn't happened yet, and after the resurrection, their eyes are really opened. And even later, Jesus fulfills his promise in sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. But they had Jesus in the flesh right before them. They didn't need the Holy Spirit at this time. They had Christ. But yet they still denied him and denied his word and didn't believe it. And either couldn't think or was not thinking about this great prophecy that Jesus is saying, this is unfolding right now. I have to go away. You have to fall away. You're going to deny me for a, a time. But he makes a promise, but in Galilee I'll meet you. I'll come back. They couldn't get past their own selfish desires and their own selfish wants still to hear the word of the Lord. Man, so often that's true for us. And for Peter it happened just as the Lord had said it would. The shepherd was stricken, the sheep scattered. But soon he will gather them back in Galilee just as he said, and they would be restored. We didn't read that part. It's later on in chapter 16, and you have to look at John and see his recording of Jesus specifically. After his resurrection, you may remember this, he told the ladies, the angel spoke to the ladies and said, 
tell the disciples and Peter, I'll see them in Galilee. And it begins this restoration process. And then there on the shores of the lake, Jesus speaks that great sermon to Peter about feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And it's remarkable, three times Peter denied Christ before the, the rooster crowed, and Christ gives Peter three times to confess him on the shore there. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. And Peter was restored. Isn't it difficult for us to believe that all of our circumstances can be used for God's glory. That's a hard thing to grasp, isn't it? I mean, I get the disciples. I may sound harsh to them. I understand. Because even though they had Christ with them, even though they knew a lot, they still had fleshly, worldly intentions that they couldn't get completely past. And they, they still were narrow-minded and narrow, they had a narrow vision, short-sightedness. That's where we all are. It's hard for us to keep, maintain an eternal perspective. It's hard. Especially when things are difficult. In recent days, I've seen people who claim to know Christ and have been born again and they trust in Christ, but the closer they get to death, doubts seem to grow. I mean, I hope this is true. I hope this is right. Because it's serious. It's difficult. We can talk about dying until we're really told we're about to die. And that's a different world. And the assurance that comes from God can only come from Him. I can't convince you of it. Nobody can convince you of it. God Himself will bear witness about Himself and convince you of it. But that's also true with all of our circumstances. Things don't go our way. Things go differently than we expect or want. And it's hard for us to believe that God will be glorified and His purposes fulfilled because they're not working out the way we thought they would. And so these men, even though they heard Jesus and they knew what He was saying, every time He said, I'm going to die, they still said no. Or at least we'll go die with you. At this point, they were finally saying, okay, well, obviously He's going to die. He's dead set on, I mean, He's determined to die. So we'll just go die with Him. But we'll never deny Him. And yet they denied Him because when it came down to it, he really was about to die. And not only that, but they were going to kill anybody that was associated with him. And that became too difficult for them to handle. Maybe that's where you are even now, some of you. Maybe you're at the point where Peter was and all the disciples, you've fallen away. I don't mean you don't believe there's a God anymore or that you were saved and now you're lost, but you've fallen away, much like our confession speaks to. Maybe the light of Christ has just grown dim. Some sin, some temptation has overtaken you and you've fallen so far back that you even wonder, could God save somebody like you? And yet, I want to remind you of what happens to Peter. He went back to what he was doing. He just forget it all. This must have, been, this must have not have been worth it. I'm going to go back to fishing. And it was at that point where he was back to where he didn't think any of it mattered and any of it was true that God met him and brought him back to himself and restored him. And that might be where some of you are. Maybe some of you are headed there. I want you to hear those promises again. Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You may leave me, but I will not leave you. And many have. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ. 
all these promises over and over that God makes to us. And he shows us the kind of people that he had to use in order to accomplish his purposes, and they're just like us. Sinful, wretched, mistake-ridden, stepping and tripping over their own selves, their own self-determination, own self-sufficiency, and yet every one of them comes back and eventually gives their own life for the sake of the gospel and the cause of Christ. What a testament to God's grace and his truth. So yes, Peter denied Christ even right after saying, I'll never deny him. And probably all of us have done something that we said we'd never do. Didn't do something that we always said we would because we battle spiritual battles and we try to fight them in the flesh. Arm yourself with God and his word and trust him. It's the only way we'll survive. This fleshly battle is through Christ and his ability to pray for us and save us and fight for us. We'll survive through eternity because of him too. And that's a good thing. So no matter how much you failed, you can't fail enough for God to stop loving you. So look back to him, turn back to him, just like Peter and his disciples. It's the life we live, right? Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I do thank you for the lessons that you give to us through your word. The truth that we're learning, they are lessons, but it's truth. Spiritual truths. And I pray you'd help us somehow to grasp this thought of spiritual battles. We cannot win these with our flesh. We cannot be self-sufficient, though our flesh continues to drive us towards self-sufficiency. God, teach us dependence on Christ. Give us more faith, more love for you and love for each other. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.